going on, guys? AJ here back again with another episode of the E1B2 Collective Podcast. And yes, I am bringing you yet another episode of Let's Talk Startups. And I'm bringing you guys an amazing guest today, a, a real practitioner, a real good guy, a really smart guy, Carl Hughes. Thank you so much for, for, for first off, you know, to Carl, um, you know, everything that he brought to, to today's podcast was super thoughtful, super intelligent, super crafty. And I just really respect uh, what he's doing and what he's been, uh, you know, building and creating in the world of startups. Let me uh, just do a quick favor to uh, to Carl and, and, and he'll kind of do a lot better of a job than I can do. But I'll tell you a little bit more about Carl. You know, he's the founder, the CEO and the amazing band behind the brand uh, Draft Dev. Draft.dev, excuse me, their car, um, where he helps startups create content that reaches software engineers. And uh, again, I'm just very, very impressed with what he's been doing so far. In today's episode, we talk about the incredible amounts of revenue that uh, Carl's been able to generate in such a short amount of time. We get really into about two to three areas of his personal business from an employee experience, hiring leadership dynamic. And I kind of give him some real time tips and feedback and perspectives. And then we just go on to talk about a lot of other things when it comes to uh, being a developer, being a founder, uh, being involved in startups and a lot of other things. And so if you are anyone right now listening that's in the startup world, you should be listening, engaging and appreciating anything Carl puts out in the world and anything Carl is building. Uh, I'm a really big fan from afar. And and now that I'm starting to get to know him a little bit better, I'm a big fan from up close and personal. And so thank you, Carl. And then also, as, as always, thank you to every single person listening to the E1B2 Collective Podcast, every person that's downloaded, every person that's listened to every single episode. I am grateful. I am appreciative. And um, yeah, that's about it. Let's get to the episode. Thanks a lot. So Carl, I really appreciate you uh, joining me on this podcast here. Um, Even though I've recorded, you know, I just checked this out actually today. I'm at, I'm at 338. Um, of episodes here. I had no idea. Wow. <laughs> so um, I, uh, I'm i still very amazed and blessed anytime that I have uh, anyone that's willing to spend some time with me. So I do appreciate it. Um, for those that uh, are interested, which I hope everyone is, uh, please give us your name, um, brief little 90 second background, and then definitely brag a little bit about what you're working on right this second. Sure. Yeah. So my name is Carl. I am uh, currently running a business called draft.dev. Before this, I had been with a couple of uh, sort of more traditionally venture funded tech startups. Draft.dev is a little different. It's a service business and I'm bootstrapping it. So um, we'll talk a little bit, I guess, about that if we want. But um, yeah, so my background's in tech and in startups. I have been an engineer, engineering manager, a CTO, and so I was pretty familiar with the process that uh, software development teams go through when picking tools. And um, when I sort of started to look at going out on my own and starting something, I realized that there was this huge gap between uh, these companies that want to uh, they want to create tools for software developers and the marketing people that have to help promote them. And so what Draft.dev does is we create technical blog posts for companies that want to reach software engineers. So I'll give you a really tangible example that might be a little more familiar if you're not a techie. Um, let's say that uh, you're a hosting company, a web hosting company, and you, you want people to run their websites on your platform. 
one way you could do that is content marketing. That means you could write blog posts about why your platform is the best, some of the advantages, some of the uh, reasons that people should pick it and things like that. Now the challenge becomes, what if you're target audience and people who make those buying decisions are software developers. And they're thinking about things like latency and uptime and all these technical terms that the average marketing person may or may not be really familiar with. That's where we come in. We basically can come in and bring software engineers to write blog posts that are super specialized around whatever topics our clients uh, really need to focus on. So this can get pretty deep and I'll, I'll try to avoid a lot of jargon, but that I'll fall into it, no doubt. Uh, and, but anyway, it's, it's a very niche uh, content marketing business, essentially. How much writing do you still do yourself? Very little now. I do take on, I, 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 am, I kind of think of myself now at this point as the pinch hitter. So I just started the business last year and initially it was, it was kind of combined a couple of things I liked. I liked writing, I liked software development and I like educating people. And um, so it was sort of like a, a marketing is like content marketing a lot of times is education, especially the good content marketing. And so uh, it was really fun to start this where I got to sit with a client, learn about their product and then write about it. Uh, but pretty quickly we had so much demand that I had to get out of that seat of the writer. And so as of this year, I write very, very few and mostly just fill in when we have a, a writer that, that maybe has to back out or, or some other commitments, you know, block them, um, or maybe something gets gets messed up in the process along the way and we need to rewrite it. But um, I, I do enjoy it. I do. I write on the side for fun, but very little for the company now. And, and why have you, um, and we talked about this offline, but just for the listeners, why have you decided to not, and I actually don't even think I posed it this way. So from from the conversation we had pr previous, you uh, or prior, you you explained to me that you do not have a an amplification function of the content itself. So the organizations internally, um, whoever they have, they need to be able to amplify that content themselves. You do not provide that ability or that even that consulting in house for that amplification. Is that correct? Right. Yeah. You know, the traditional way that marketing gets done, I think, is an agency, a full service agency comes in, they help you with strategy, they help you with production, they help you with distribution and maybe partnerships, all sorts of things. And I, I totally, that, that, that model is obviously very valid. A lot of good agencies are out there. A lot of companies have success working with agencies. But for me personally, I mean, one of the things that's fun about running a business is that you get to decide which parts you want to do and which you don't. And assuming there is market demand, it doesn't matter that you don't do everything. So I definitely have clients ask about things like, could you do help us with strategy? Could you help us with uh, distribution through social channels or helping put this content into our CMS? We just decided to really early on be very limited in scope intentionally so. And the reason for that, to get to your question, is that we don't want a lot of variability in our process. Like our process is is sort of the, uh, I mean, I don't want to say it's like secret sauce because it's still a service business. It's just about doing the work, but it's how we do the work at a high quality consistently is by having a very limited scope. We can make writing and specking out an article a very controlled process. And uh, a lot of bigger marketing agencies that do full service would have a hard time with that when they start to involve software engineers as writers because they're not typical writers. And so the process would would be pretty different for them. Do you have any, um, have you thought about creating any, 
um, ancillary kind of partnerships where the second that question is brought up, you can refer them very quickly, whether there's a, a financial kickback on your end, which I actually don't mind. A lot of people think that's a little bit shady. I actually don't think it is <laughs> sure. as long as, as long, yeah, yeah, let's call it what it is, right? It's still business. As long as right. the partner, right. yeah, as long as the partner is, is good and they're valid and, and they can really provide great, great work. Um, have you thought of that? Or even just as a good human, have you thought about creating those real relationships where as soon as you're done writing the content, you make that, you make that next logical step and in introduction to that type of a partner? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's kind of two sides that I've been thinking on and working a little bit on. I'll, I'll let me though back up and kind of say my, my perspective on partnerships is that they are good once you get to a certain level of stability. They can be a great way to sort of take you to the next step. But I think a lot of startups try to get into them too early on. Uh, and what hmm. unfortunately, what I think that does is it can kind of divert you from your core product and market value. And so I've been really focused with draft on staying really focused. And again, this is very intentional. Like I am, <laughs> you know, you guys can probably tell I'm a software engineer. By background, so I like organization and I like like defined processes and consistency. And so, uh, partnerships are great in the long term, but I think that and they will be a great expansion revenue model for us. But I've been kind of avoiding a lot of them. Now, all that said, I do have a couple of refer uh, referral partners that are uh, either strategists or agencies that do sort of bigger things than I do. Uh, and when a client comes to me and just is like clearly they need more than we can handle. I, I'm happy to pass them off and just say, hey, look, uh, these these guys are good or these people are good. And some of those pay some to me, but most of them it's just people I know that I trust. Uh, because you know what what I figure with these referrals at this point, uh, the real value is showing the the client or prospective client that that we are like that I'm an expert or we're experts in our field and that we're trying to help them the best way possible. So mm. Yeah, I, I have mixed feelings about the partnerships and going after them very aggressively at this stage. I'm just not quite stable enough where we're ready to, to kind of pursue that as a major strategy yet. Let's, let's, let's stick on that for a second because in, in a different perspectives of what, it's what makes <laughs> the world beautiful. Um, so, and I think I mentioned this to you, um, for two and a half years, I ran, I know this is an odd business model. I actually don't even know if there's a lot of not I just built it off of something that um, was kind of solving my own problem and, and, and kind of something that I had done successfully in the past. Um, for two and a half years off the backs of my first company, well, let me back up. I started, I, I made a really strategic partnership with Under Armour and then another with the multi, multi-million dollar sports and training facility. And then another with a very, very high level person that inevitably became an internal talent. So I made three mm -hmm. really pivotal partnerships that allowed me to scale uh, to a million in revenue in about 18 months in a, in a short period of time in an industry that that's really not normal. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what kind of caught the, the partnership bug for me. And then I actually started a partnership consultancy firm for two years, two and a half years really, where if you are a startup or, or, or a newer company, and you needed to or wanted to um, create partnerships to increase revenue, increase internal talent bandwidth, um, jump into different markets. I don't know, like I, I always had a person, personal perspective that partnerships would allow you to do more mm -hmm. and be more 
um, without kicking out the internal finances or kicking out the internal, having the internal capabilities in-house. But you, you bring up something that I think is interesting that I've known to be true, but I would love to kind of rip on this and see if where we disagree and agree. You say it's a bit of a distraction or a bit of a, a strong decision to make to really set some strategy behind it. What's your thoughts on how I look at it opposed to like when you say it's a distraction, what's one of the main reasons of why you felt that it's just not the right time to move on it? Yeah, that and you bring up a really good point, Anthony, and I, I don't want to come off as too, um, what did I say? No. Like, uh, maybe like prescriptive, right? There is no, no one approach to business, right? This is what's kind of, of fun about it. Like, I, I think everybody brings their own unique strength and strengths to the business that they run. And then you sort of like use that to leverage the most you can. So for you leveraging these extremely good partnerships was the key. And it's like so funny to hear the opposite, you know, like you can, you just know there's no right way to do this, right? So uh, that's the first point is like, there's no right way. I think here's here's like a, a an example of how this distracts some entrepreneurs. And again, like this is probably like, jaded by my own personal experience, having been through some startups where we got distracted by these kind of partnerships. Um, I Let's say that you're an early stage company and you are still figuring out exactly what your product market fit is. Like who is our target customer? How much are they willing to pay? Mm. What exactly is the big value we're bringing? Like maybe you've got five or six personas, which is way too many for an early stage company. Um, and when you're at that stage, to me, the highest value thing the founder can be doing is talking to those customers and narrowing down what they're supposed to be doing and for who. And what happens sometimes that I've seen is like the founder instead gets caught up with um, maybe star power. Maybe they see some big company that wants to partner with them on some aspect of their business and they think, well, this is it. Let's just hitch, hitch our wagon to this star. And what can happen is you can, you can end up looking back and being like, well, we still don't know who our target market is. And then what if things fall through with the big company? So that's maybe the the anti-case for partnerships that that can be distracting now mm. I, I agree with your points that like with the if partnerships are your strength if they are the thing that you bring to the business i've actually found and one thing that we talked about a lot before this was the the power of those relationships and how strong a power networking is so to kind of like counter my own point here while i haven't gone for uh, what we would call like a strategic partnerships yet all of my early clients came from word of mouth, people I knew directly. Yes. So the the power of my network was a huge advantage starting this business versus what most people would have had. And so, you know, while I didn't pursue it with partnerships, I definitely get a lot of advantage from knowing people and connecting people in the right ways. And let's talk about that a little bit, because that's right, right? So that's the that's the thing that I advise. And so the business model I'm referring to was two, was two-sided. Well, three-sided really. It was I've had I've had an ability to create, I've had an ability to get myself on podcast and PR that I probably have no business being involved in. <laughs> like, like they probably sure. have no business talking to me. There's probably better people that they could be talking to, but I found a way to do that. So I help companies do that. I help them think about the true integrated partnership that we're talking about. And then I help them come up with like a connector model. And that's the intentional effort that I think is really fascinating that I think when we chatted, that's something that even though you're doing really well right now, I believe that was something that you said you may start to implement more of moving forward mm -hmm. because something I, I, I think I'm doing decent at, but it takes a ton of time. And here's the thing is 
building out those true uh, relationships that can be connectors for you, AKA referrals, AKA introductions, and to put you in the right positions to have an at bat, right? And one thing that I mean, you laughed about that uh, I think it just would be good for any founders listening to this right now that may or may not struggle with this. I know for a fact, I'm struggling with this right now. You know, I'm building a company in a space that I have never played in externally. Mm. I've always been in-house as a head of people for the last five years. I've never played that game, consultant, speaker, thought leader externally until this year. And so for me, I'm building out that robust strategic list, if you will, of relationships that I want to make in a deep level and how to go about it. Right. Let's get into as much as transparent as you're willing to talk about. Let's get into like some of your, your, your recurring revenue and really more important than that, how you were able to do that. Because what I'm doing intentionally, what I've had to remind myself, and again, a tip that to the listeners now, you had already been doing versions of that for years prior where you had a base of connectors. So talk to me about that and how that's connected to your recurring revenue now. Right. So yeah, when I started the business, I looked at, I sort of did a self audit and was like, what skills do I have that I could, you know, sort of market myself as doing and what connections do I have that would allow me to sell those skills immediately rather than trying to build a market from scratch. I think one of the most challenging things that startups try to do is, is build a company in a, like you said, a market that they're not a part of or a network they're not a part of yet. Um, like if I had tried to start, a, you know, I don't know, a service for that help a software service that helps bricklayers, like I have no idea who these guys are, what they do, how they work, like who, where they hang out. Like I would have had such a huge uphill battle. Now on the flip side, maybe there's not a lot of software for them. Maybe I could have really helped them in a big way, but like, it's just like, it's, there's so much value in being familiar with your network if you want to move fast. So when I, I was in the, the sort of tech startup world, which is a, uh, I mean, it's a, you know, it gets talked about a lot, but it's not a huge community. There's a few key accelerators and, and venture capitalists and angel investors you, you kind of need to start to know. And then you start to get to know people and have con- mutual connections. And so when I launched Draft, I knew I wanted to go after that target market because I understood them very well. And I knew a lot of people in my network were connected to them or in that network. So uh, it was kind of like just my, my sort of first sales pitches were just putting myself out there. I literally had a list of 50 or 60 people that I'd kept up with over the last few years. And I started getting in touch with them, having one-on-one calls and meetings and just being like, Hey, how's it going? This is what I'm up to, you know, happen to know anybody. And from each of those early clients that came on, they, we did good work for them. And they told us like sort of introduced us to other people in their network. And, you know, referrals are still our biggest source of, of new, new leads and new good leads. Um, so to kind of summarize like where we're at though, um, because you asked that, like we've gone from about nine or 10 K towards the, at the end of 2020, which that was our first, you know, three or four months running to we're booked for 30 K uh, monthly revenue in March. And it's looking like we're going to add six to 10 K for the next several months, depending on um, exactly how big all the deals we have in the pipeline are. So, um, I mean, you know, I, my, <laughs> my ambitious goal is to be at, uh, to, to kind of be around where you were, <laughs> Anthony, I don't know if I'll hit it, but uh, somewhere around a million in uh, annual revenue by the end of 18 months would be great. Um, 
So yeah, I mean, it's, it's growing quickly. There's just a lot of demand for this. And once you start to get into the networks with the right people, they make introductions and it makes your sales, like I'm not a sales guy. And so I, I was most afraid when I started the business that I would just struggle with, with sales uh, because I've never closed things like this. Um, but what happens when you have a referral as a lead, mm -hmm. it's so much easier. There's not so much a, easier. I mean, you're right. Like they, there's a level of trust that you don't get when you, you do cold emails and cold calls. And I, I guess like, I'm not downplaying those strategies because obviously like you're not always going to get to just have a bunch of referrals. This is a rare thing. Um, but at the same time, like, man, it's, it's nice if you can do it. <laughs> and let's, let's even dig into that a little bit deeper because you know what, you know what I find interesting that's a part, and so I'll tell you exactly why, Carl, and I want to get your take on this. I'll tell you exactly why I built out that consultancy. I built it out because I was trying to advise startups to not take outside capital, mm -hmm. and I was trying to advise consult uh, startups to not put in as much as their, of their own capital and to have referrals, introductions, integrated partners that would really allow them to save cash mm -hmm. because I had started my first company with no money. I've never, to this day, no, that's funny. I just thought I've never started a company with money, right? Now, the companies that I'm building don't really need money to start, but it probably would have helped. Mm -hmm. Like with what I'm doing right now, I'm quite sure I can inject a lot of cash in a couple different areas that could help this, what I'm doing right now, blow up a little bit faster than what it is. And so let's, let's walk through your model of when, and try to remember if you could get super tactical here, like step-by-step step of what you actually did when you put together that 50 or 60 people list, try to think about what you actually said, the questions you asked, and how it realistically turned into them saying, you know what, here's this company I want you to talk to. Here's this founder, leader, internal executive I want you to talk to. Here's their email. Matter of fact, I'll do you one better. I'm going to make the introduction for you. Matter of fact, I'll do you one better. I'll be on the call with you and validate, validate it for you. Right. Because because I have to I have to agree with you, right? The revenue I've generated right now with all of my projects right now, the revenue I generated with my first two companies, they have always been generated. And frankly, I'll say it here. I want them to always be generated through integrated partnerships or through introductions. Because mm -hmm. what happens inevitably, and then I'll shut up here and let you get into the, the tactics, <laughs> What happens eventually, and I think you would agree with this, it starts to turn into a, it starts to turn into a, a revolving door that you don't have to put any effort around. Mm -hmm. You just start to have your email and your LinkedIn box and your Twitter box. Like you just have to have these things filling up yeah. where people are just starting to, 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 to look for you because number one, you have so many seeds planted. And then more importantly than the seeds, Carl, you have, you've done good work. Yeah, yeah, um, for sure. So, so go back for me, if you can think about something maybe you said that could be helpful to someone. Yeah, so a couple things come to mind. And I, I totally agree what you're saying is, I think of it like compound interest, like relationships yep, are yep. compound interest. And that's why so few people invest in them is the same reason that, that not enough people invest in their retirement accounts, right? And uh, it's because it's so hard to see the value short term. So people kind of like, 
they, they kind of put it off and they think, oh, well, if I just, I'll, I'll, you know, worry about meeting people later once I'm more established, once I'm whatever, like, or maybe they think they're not worthy of meeting other, you know, big people or whatever. They, they kind of get intimidated. So if you put off building your network and building relationships, you're just never going to get the advantage that compound interest that happens. Um, so to kind of answer your question, because it's directly related to that, uh, the way I got that list of 50, 60 people was I've been doing it for years. I have this, <laughs> I, you know, again, nerdy me, I have this system uh, where every week I go into my big spreadsheet of people that I want to stay in touch with. And I add people if I need to, maybe take people off sometimes if the relationship is kind of folded and doesn't make as much sense anymore. And then I reach out to five or six of them every week and I try to schedule one-on-one catch-ups with them. Uh, used to be in person a lot of times and now it's, it's all virtual, obviously, but um, so I had been doing it for years. It wasn't like a, all of a sudden I realized I wanted to start a business. I better start getting in touch with people. I had warm contacts in this industry all over the place uh, to immediately go to. So that was that was sort of key one was long-term investment in relationships. And, you know, this is the thing. It's like people think about networking as kind of a dirty word, but like, it's not, I didn't get anything from those relationships for years. And still most of them, like I give as much or more than I get. So like, there's not a, it's not, it's not selfish. This is just a long-term thing you invest in. Um, and then the other thing was having, once I did get to where I wanted to start the business, I got a very specific ask and profile of who I wanted to talk to. And I ran that by every one of the people I talked to. So, you know, one of the, the challenges that I see a lot of people, or one of the things that a lot of people who are new to networking do wrong is they, uh, they ask for very general things. So for example, I, I met with a uh, a few bootcamp graduates, uh, dev developer bootcamp graduates, uh, a few weeks ago, and yep. one of them, one of kind of kind of brought up like, oh well, do you know anybody who's hiring? And I was like, I mean, of course, but like that's a such a broad ask. I, like, I can't just introduce you to everybody I know who's hiring. It would look bad on me because these aren't focused, you know, introductions that make any sense. So I said, can you be more specific? Like, what are you looking for? You want? And they just kind of gave me the, oh, just any job. And I'm like, well, that that doesn't help me. Like, I can't That's narrow down, right? So I sort of I laughed and I said, no, what you you don't want any job. Like, you want a job with a like. I was like, what you need to tell me is you need a job with a hundred person or less company that's ready for a junior developer who works in JavaScript and Rails or whatever, you know, like all these, these specific things. So if you tell me that, I will have three people in mind or one person in mind that I can introduce you to. But when you tell me I just want any job, it's just, it's overwhelming. So by having a very specific ask for who I wanted to meet when I went into these, these meetings, each one ended up with a like, sort of next step of, well, do you happen to know anybody who X, Y, and Z? And if they said, no, great, that's no big deal. We just move on and they'll think about it if they ever do. Uh, and if they did, it was great because we could just, I'd immediately had that perfect ask and what I wanted to get in touch with them for. So that was my trick if there is such a thing. No, that's really, really helpful. And I'm even thinking about that myself. And, and actually let's do this live here. Maybe not with you directly, but I want you to give me advice on the next person because we've already kind of had our chat. Knowing what you know about me and what I do, what, how would you push me to get, and maybe, again, maybe even we can do it with you again, because I know we have the chat, but how would you push me to get even deeper about who I'm really looking to chat with? Like, what advice would you give me knowing what I'm doing? If I'm talking to you, for an example, if I'm talking to anyone else, what would questions reversing it a bit what questions would you ask me if i was that that person as well say okay anthony i understand like let's get deeper what exactly are you looking for what 
let, let's try it here live maybe yeah it's gonna be fun yeah you know so one of the was we were talking about this last time i think i kind of brought up this point i the biggest thing i want to know is who feels the pain from mm. you know from people onboarding and, and people problems right and like what is how do they know they have that pain because i think one of the challenges that's taken me a, a few months to figure out is like I knew I, I knew I wanted to to write things, but I was not in for a technical audience. But I wasn't sure if I should go to engineering leaders and try to write internally for their blogs, or if I should go to founders and try to help them start their blogs, or if I should go to marketing people. Anyway, I, I asked, I tried all those things, and I asked all those people, and I figured out who had the most pain that came down to actual dollars that they wanted to spend but couldn't deploy because they didn't have a good way to do it. Or they had tried and they had wasted a lot of money in the past uh, and they were ready to try a new approach. So anyway, that, that was my first question, I think to you, Anthony. And the thing I would continue to ask is like, who feels the pain and who, you know, who is the person that has a, cl they clearly know they're sick. They just need help. And then, you know, that's where it's so easy for me to make that, that recommendation of, oh, okay. I know some people like that. No, that's really helpful. Yeah, and I and I actually took that advice, and and I've been and I've been thinking on that. And I think for me, my answer was um, my answer was probably not the greatest one, but it it is true for it is true for the companies. Yeah, it is true for the companies that I'm building now because for me, a lot of the work that I'm doing, and this is a little even counterintuitive to the space we're in. A lot of the work that I'm doing is. I'm hoping I stumble upon organizations that are proactive, right? Mm -hmm. Like a lot of the work that I'm doing, I think I mentioned this to you is, hey, you probably are doing something when you onboard a new hire. You're probably doing something when it comes to leading and developing and managing someone in your organization. You're probably doing something when it comes to, you know, uh, building out a management layer and a structure. But don't you think it would be a little bit better if you were to build out a system and a process around it? At least just a rough draft version. Like, let's even come up with a more impactful and more competent draft and iteration 1.0, if you will, mm -hmm. right? Because I, I, I had a call with the VC today, and uh, they were kind of giving me the runaround a bit in a, in, a, in a, not a bad way, they were just kind of giving me the runaround. And then I kind of gave that example, and they were like, huh, that is interesting. And I was like, what's interesting? They said, well, the way you put it as far as like iteration and, and, and concept 1.0, because they were saying to me, what, what made me hesitant to even continue to talk with you, frankly, is that in the startup world, we don't like to have anything set in stone. Right. So when I hear the word process, it makes me feel like you're, you're going to be giving them a prescriptive process that they should never change forever. Mm. And when you kind of said the 1.0 of the iteration, the concept of the rough draft, it made me think, you know what, it probably... You know, again, if you have 84 employees or you have 15 or you have 12, you've done something to onboard them. Right. Um, but you probably didn't work with someone like my team or someone that has been doing this day to day to day to day for years to build out a really comprehensive um, rough draft, if you will. I'm trying to get out of the word of process, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, a really comprehensive uh, system, if you will, to it for the first time around you probably just threw some shit together, right? Yeah. Um, and so that's interesting. Um, let's shift to that for a second and then, and then we'll bounce over to a couple other things. And you sent me a, sent me a lot of stuff. I'm looking at these, these topics here. This is a lot of good stuff, man. You know what we have to do? 
Are you a fan of Joe Rogan? <laughs> I, I've listened to a couple episodes, but they're so long. <laughs> Dude, I don't have the time today, but when right. I bring you back, because I like to bring people back, we'll have to we'll have to pump out like a two hour one. Right. Yeah. We'll just spend a Saturday. <laughs> yeah. Like seriously, though, I, I, you know, my longest one. I want to say it's two hours and 10 minutes. I'll try to find it and maybe send it over to you. Yeah. If you're, if you're interested. <laughs> yeah, you should. Uh, it was uh, on a Saturday morning. We started at 11. And I don't think we were done until about 1.30. So, yeah, oh, Carl, you there? Yeah, you just oh, got to let it you, are. you just got to let it go as it is organically. Exactly, exactly. Um, all right, so let me, uh, let me try to help out Ad Hoc really quickly. You got some, you got some new problems, some, some things here. Yeah. I want to try to tackle some of those. Like I told you before, the problems that you are having right now ad hoc in the moment, I'm positive someone listening to this will have those same problems. Yeah. Um, and so I'm not a fan of the NPR. No offense, NPR, even though you probably don't even know who the hell I am. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm not a fan of those like origin stories and like high level sure, principles. Sure. You know? yeah. um, so you sent over to me, you know, I've managed teams before, but yeah. mostly just engineers. And then you said managing marketing folks and editorial staff, it's completely new. And I'll throw even a new caveat on this as well, brother. This is your first time leading someone as a founder. Right. Yes. It's a big difference. So it's, it's different being a manager internally because yeah. I'm quite sure if it's a decent startup or a decent company, someone before you said, hey, the, here's how you kind of go about managing or here's a, a, right. a framework or a process or here's a perspective and here's kind of how we go about leading people here and here's some of the KPI, you know, yeah. I'm sure someone built that out. Um, let's have a little five, seven minute, just two guys shooting shit, coaching. I don't know. What can I help you with? What are your, yeah. what are your problems? What are you, what are you feeling? So, you know, and actually as you, you kind of phrased that question back, it made me think another different sort of lever in this whole, this, this business too, is that because I'm bootstrapping, I don't have the funds to just hire people full-time. Instead, I'm hiring all uh, part-time and, and contract and very, you know, sort of, um, uh, you know, they're temporary. And, and while some, a couple of the people are very, they're pretty committed, like, I, you know, my editor, she's, she's full-time a contract uh, and she's, you know, we, we have an understanding this is going to be a long-term thing, but at the same time, like, it is a little, the relationship's a little different when you're not a uh, W-2 employee with benefits and all that. And I can't offer that yet. Um, so I, I think a couple things um, come up, you know, when I've hired engineers in the past, I usually have them on pretty quickly that like we're, we're in like a uh, uh, process for, uh, I guess, upskilling them over time. Like I'll kind of give them a roadmap of skills that they're going to learn to to be better engineers and to be more productive in the business and kind of what projects they're going to work on to do that with contractors and and in especially because I don't know marketing and editing that well. I don't know how to upskill them. You know, like I've I've been used to being the senior-ish or one of the more senior engineers. And so I could tell a junior engineer, mid-level engineer, here's what you do to get to the next level in your career. But I don't know how to tell that to a marketing person. Um, yep. Same with an ed editor. Like my editor's great. I think she's awesome. I couldn't do the work she does, but I don't know how to tell her how to get better <laughs> because she's beyond my level, you know? So Yeah, I have some thoughts. Um, first thought I have, and this is what I recommend for 
this is probably the thing that I do best of all the things that I do. This is probably the thing I do best. Um, every single company and every single leader and every single employee needs to have the following. I believe everyone should have their own IDP plan, which is kind of what we're talking about, which we're mm -hmm. going to get into. And then I think everyone should have before even that you as an organization, you as a leader, you as the founder, you need to know where every single one of your employees, where they inevitably want to be at the end of their career, mm. at the very end, yeah. you need yeah. to know that. And I believe that's not a nice to have. It's not a maybe. It's, a, it's an expectation that you need to set for yourself. It's an expect, expectation that the organization understands. And so it's a process. It's a system. And so it's a one-on-one -on -one meeting when they first get into the organization, I genuinely like to do it in the interview process, frankly. Mm -hmm. um, but even if, if, I, if I miss it or I forget about it in the interview process, I like to go about it during the onboarding process or even within the first month or two in the organization. Where are you at in your life in a perfect state at the end of the, at the, end of the road? You know, what have you done in your career when you're in your 60s, your 50s, your 40s, your 30s, however old they are? What are you doing that is a perfect, beautiful state of life. Yeah. I'd love to know those things because I believe it is my job as a leader and just a genuinely a human in life to do everything in my power to get you to that goal or to have something to do with that goal while you're, with, while you're here within my organization. Yeah. That's, that's number one. And so that looks like uh, a mandatory one-on-one about that topic only. That looks like you maybe maybe hiring for the time, uh, an executive assistant to sit next to you and take notes and have or, or record the conversation via Zoom. Now that I'm sure a lot of it's remote, record right. the conversation and then go back and play it and take down very detailed notes of exactly to the T of what they said. Put some time in your calendar as a leader and as a founder uh, and as a manager to uh, to intentionally start to build out your own way of how you're going to make those things happen for them. And then reach back out to them after that, after a few days, three weeks, however long it takes you to formalize that data and explain to them on your end, your plan, intentional plan of how you're going to make that goal of theirs a priority of yours. Um, I know it's cheesy. I know it doesn't seem like a good use of time. I strongly disagree with anyone that ever feels that way. I no, believe yeah. that is one of the I, I would I would disagree if anyone disagreed with you too. I, I actually think that's really very uh um what would I call it? That is like, I mean, you want to talk about like investing in your network. Like your employees are part of your network, right? Like these yep. are people who are going to talk good or bad about you in the future to other people. So like I think a lot of maybe inexperienced or naive managers or, or founders think like, oh, well, I can just hire somebody and, and dispose of them if they're no good. But like, you know, they move on and then people talk to them about what it's like working with you, right? Like yep. I, my, I, one of my tricks to when I was applying for jobs years ago was to do backdoor interviews where I'd go find somebody who used to work at the company, left, and just ask them what the real shit is. Like, what's, what's it really like there? Uh, because yep. they'll give you some interesting insight that even if they're slanted because they got fired or whatever, like it's still good to get the other perspective. Anyway, so I totally agree with you. Like you got to have that long-term view on your employees and they're not just going to work for you forever. They're going to yep. have lives beyond you. I love that. Um, one thing, That's actually, I, I would love to ask you this because you know please. more about this area than me. Um, so, A, how do you do that with contractors and then part B 
because because the contractors are like I'm just a little piece in there, maybe puzzle, like maybe they have a couple other clients. And then part B is what if they tell you I don't know, or they just like kind of are reluctant to talk about it. Uh, I'll, let me talk about the latter first. Yeah. If uh, if they're reluctant to talk about it and they don't really have an answer, then you don't push, right? Yeah. It's 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 you know I used to struggle with that early in my career where I would be like, how do you not know? And <laughs> right. I've come to find out that a lot of people don't know. Like yeah. Uh, I mean, and my girlfriend doesn't mind because she actually she doesn't even listen to the podcast. So it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> my my girlfriend in. And she doesn't mind. This is something that she's transparent about. Uh, she was uh, getting her master's degree last semester, like the final road. And she was having a very tough time mentally. She quit. She yeah. said, I do not want to do what I was what I was on track to do of the reason why I did this master's program. And she thought I was going to be upset with her because I was paying for it and I was supporting her through this whole thing. And I said, I don't give a shit. It's what you, you don't, if you don't want to do it and you know that genuinely in your heart, then that's okay. And so right. that's one thing I have realized about employees, number one. Number two, for the contractors, let's say they do have that answer. I look at contractors the same way I look at employees, even if they are, uh, even if you are one of many projects, because to your point, since you're one of many projects, it's gonna, it's gonna be an interesting little subtlety about you that is gonna be a little bit more mm -hmm. of a rememberable, rememberable moment with you yeah. personally that you never do. You never know where they're going to go with their careers, man. You never right. know. Right. And it's a really good thing to have those people in your pocket. So the same process I would do with an internal employee, I would do with them as well. Um, and then let me kind of get into like the nuts and bolts of that piece as well. Like a lot of it is really based around you intentionally figuring out what you can genuinely do to help. And mm -hmm. So let me tie it in with your question here, when it came to the marketing and the editorial, just because you don't have that in your background, doesn't mean you can't make it a priority for you to learn. Mm -hmm. Just because you don't have it in your background doesn't mean, and this is where, again, folks like me come in, other folks that are not like me that focus on other, you know, editorial, writing, marketing, whatever the case is, individuals that either run consultancies or maybe are even doing that in house, there's nothing stopping you from going out and making relationship with those folks and bringing them in to do a keynote. There's nothing wrong with making an introduction and creating a mentorship program within an organization and setting them, setting them up for monthly or quarterly one-on-ones and mentorship. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with you. It doesn't take any real effort to go out of your way to set up those processes and make them really efficient and make them really consistent. Um, and so I'm a big fan of that. I push very heavily for that. And uh, that was going to be my tip really was going to be, even though you don't know a lot about the editorial, the marketing from how to be the best in the world at it and how to get better at it, I would advise you to make partnerships with folks that look the part, that are doing it at a very tangible level to bring that talent in-house, not tangibly in-house where you're paying salary, but bring them into your ecosystem set up learning and development structures, set up IDP structures where they are mentors, they are there to support. They are, hey, and again, you're, you're in the world of business, right? So out of that six, eight, 10, 12K, spend a little money, right? Spend a little sure. money to get these folks in front of them in a very intentional way um, and, uh, and create those moments of learning for them. And, and then on the flip side of that, and then I'll shut up and get your thoughts, I would... Um, 
I would put it on them as well. So what I want to see more leaders do is I want to see more leaders say to employees, I will meet you where you meet yourself. Mm-hmm. And so everything I just said is you meeting them where they are. I want to see employees meet themselves at their, at their own damn selves. Right. And so what I would recommend to those folks is I would say to them, look, you know, I don't know a lot about editorial. I don't know a lot about marketing when it comes to being the best in the world. But this is, thing, this is something you do. Can you spend a little time really figuring out where you want to go, what you want to do, how you think you want to be the best? What are some areas in this world that maybe, again, I don't know of that you just genuinely want to get better at? And I am willing to spend a little time, maybe some resources, and I'm willing to figure out a way to build out that learning infrastructure and that development infrastructure on your behalf, even though I can't personally be the one to do it. Right. Um, so I don't know if those thoughts were helpful. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Actually, you made me think of, um, I had a, a boss uh, years ago who was really good about, um, he, would, he would sort of, he had a big network and he would offer to employees, you know, if you want to do something, you want to meet somebody, let me know. I'll look for people and find the right connections for you. And he was really good about doing that. You know, it, it was, it's, you know, on one hand, it looks like an easy thing, um, but at the same time, it's not easy to replicate a network that is good and has lots of connections. And so I remember he introduced me to a couple of people who I've stayed in touch with for years since. And so I think, I think there's, you know, like you kind of mentioned, like maybe you don't have that in-house expertise or I don't have the personal expertise, but I might know somebody who does, or I might know somebody who's in uh, my, you know, you, you also kind of asked about like their, their dream job or where they want to end up. Right. And maybe they don't necessarily want to end up just like as an editor or marketer, maybe they have some different aspiration they want to transition into. Um, I'm thinking about one of my employees, like she's talked about wanting to, she's writing a book. She wants to be an an author writer. And it's like, I don't have to just look at it. Like, how do I introduce her to an editor? There's probably people I've met in publishing. There's probably people I've met, you know, like I, I imagine there's somebody I know that could help. So there's probably other ways to, to do that same kind of, um, help them in the same way, but, or help them, but not in quite the same traditional way the larger company might. And there, and if there's nobody that you know in your personal network right now, I want to, I want to challenge you to go a step further and find those individuals, mm. right? Just like, because here's the thing, and, and I get a lot of pushback from leaders on this and I, you don't seem to be the type of guy that would give me pushback on this, but I do get a lot of pushback because you're like, okay, now you're taking it a little far, Jason. Now you're telling me to take time out of my busy schedule <laughs> to go network on the behalf of that person. And I'm like, Yes, because let me tell you exactly why. And this is just a fact, Carl, and you know this. The, the contractors you have, the employees you have, they are literally keeping your company alive. Sure, yeah. Without them, you're dead in water. Yeah. To the scale that you want to be at, right? Yep. yep. Right? And I tell people all the time, these individuals, they are doing so much for you and your family and your kids or your future kids. And they're like, well, what do you mean my future kids? I don't have kids yet. I said, well, I don't know. Do you have a retirement <laughs> account? Do you make investments? Right. Are you planning on having kids? Some of those monies that you're making right now, I promise you, if you were to really like build it out, it's probably going to connect to the food your kid eat at some kids eat <laughs> sure. at some point. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and those folks are, have a lot to do with that. And so I don't think it's going to take too much time maybe two hours out of a month to be very intentional, go on LinkedIn. And I'm not sure what type of book she wants to write, but if you figure out the category, I'm quite sure there's someone on LinkedIn or Instagram or Twitter that has written a book in those categories that is at like a mid-level, like not crazy. Like, you know, you're not going to be able to get like 
J.K. Rowling, or, right, right. Or, 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 or Brene Brown on your podcast, right. uh, your ecosystem. But yeah. I'm sure there's someone at mid-level that's sold a few yeah. thousand books that's having a decent career yeah. that you could reach out to. And next thing you know, you reach out to your employee and say, hey, I have a meeting that I just set up for you. I want you to, I want you to take that meeting. She's like, what is it? I'm like, oh, just take the meeting. You would make her life. You make her yeah. life. Um, yeah. And uh, so that's an example, Carl. Um, let's get into one or two other things and then we'll get you out of here. Okay. Um, bottlenecks. So you talked about, you know, onboarding clients. Yeah. Actually, before I go into that, do you feel really good about your recruiting practices right now? Like, how do you feel when it comes to getting ready to gear up to, 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 to find new talent? We can touch on that for maybe 90 seconds. Yeah. I do remember you mentioning something like that. So generally, yes, I have like a pretty good. So the bulk of our workforce are contract writers who are software engineers. Their, their primary job is being a software engineer and they write on the side for us. And so the, the typical profile, somebody who's early to middle of their career um, and they're kind of trying to set themselves apart. So they want to take on some extra writing work to kind of get their name out there, prove that they know some things, they'll share it around on their social networks and for future, you know, maybe on their resume in the future. Anyway, so for those people, I have a pretty good system and a pretty strong network that has given me access to a lot of candidates that are, are wanting to write for us. So I, it's, I mean, we do occasionally have some like special recruiting situations that are trickier, but just the general pool of writers, it's not too mm. bad. Now, where it gets tricky, and the the, heart, the challenge in recruiting is like the sort of specialized roles that are unique to what we do and unique to, um, to, to how we do it. So we create detailed plans for each client for all the content we're going to write for them up front, and we get the client to approve that before um, it, uh, it goes to the writers to start actual production. And right now I'm writing all those content plans. And so my, my sort of big project for March of 2021, which we're in right now is figure out how to get somebody else to help me out with that. So I'm not the only blocker and bottleneck for that process. Got it. Got it. Got it. And I, I think I even told you about, like, I would love to, again, ad hoc, traditional, whatever we decide to maybe do. I would love to, I would love to help you think through how to gear up to find that person around just unpacking your own brain and unpacking what really you need and be able to articulate that. Mm -hmm. um, so bottleneck, you talk about bottlenecks within onboarding clients. Um, what, 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 what do you, what are your issues? What are you having there? What can we rift on? What can I maybe help you facilitate for you to answer the question around that? You know, how long does it take for you to onboard a client? Um, have you, have you tried outsourcing? What, what, what's yeah. the, what's the situation here? Yeah. So the way it works is when a, a new client says they want to work with us, they fill out uh, a, an onboarding form, which just basically has them give us all the topic ideas that they want us to start with. And then we go create these detailed briefs and outlines for them. Uh, and so in the, the, the bottleneck or the thing that takes the longest is creating these briefs. It takes maybe 30 minutes per brief and each client might have six to 12 or, or even more briefs for us to do. And so you're talking to, you know, could be a, 15 hours, depending on how many revisions there are. And like, you know, if, if we're doing two or three clients uh, a week or whatever. So anyway, uh, point being, it just ends up being like a big task for me. Um, and the challenge in hiring somebody for it is that it's a weird role. It's not like traditional SEO 
writing where we're focused on just like hitting certain keywords and all that, like this is technical content. So you kind of have to go research the topic and know enough about it to write the, the, the high level view of it. So it's not, it's not the, um, it's not the kind of stuff where you could just hire a, any general SEO freelancer to do. You, you kind of need somebody who's a good writer slash organizer slash software engineer slash uh, sometimes manager. And so I'm actually, I'd be interested to get your take on this. Like, is this the kind of role? And maybe this is, I have two sort of paths I'm looking at for this role. One is I could hire somebody full-time and try to like train them up in how I do it because I've got a lot of years of experience in, in uh like organizing stuff like this and writing and and all that. So I could train somebody, uh, maybe a junior developer, mid-level developer who wants to make a big switch and do something like this uh, full-time. So that's option one. The other option is to start smaller and try to just bring on a couple part-time people to do different ones that they might be more specialized in. Like say I have one engineer who does this part-time who focuses on front-end topics and one who focuses on back-end topics and try out a few different people um, you know, I see that. I, I don't know. I'd like to hear your opinions on that when it comes to hiring in these early days. Like, it's almost as a broader question about hiring. It's like, do you want to hire fewer uh, multi, like, faceted employees that are like really dynamic, or do you want to hire more smaller contractors who are very specialized? Huh. It depends on how important the role is. Mm. Um. I'm a big context guy. Context is everything for me. So it depends on how important the role is. Um, how, how important is the role? <laughs> ah, man. Yeah. <laughs> and when I say important, I mean important to the short-term success of your org, not the long-term. Yeah. So it's definitely very important in the short-term. Um, and that's why it's like one of the, that's why it's the thing I still do the most of because you know, and not that the other roles aren't important. They're just easier to define and sanction off. This one has been really hard for me to define because it doesn't have a established job title that a lot of companies do. I, you know, if there is such a thing as a secret sauce to what we do, this is it. I'm pretty transparent about it. So obviously it's not that secret, but uh, it's just the, the fact that we get the clients to sign off on a lot, a high level of detail beforehand helps our writers go forward with a lot more confidence. And then our editors can see what did the client really want? Did the writer meet those expectations? And they can edit to the to those points a lot better. So it's a pretty critical function, I think. Could you break up the role in, could you break, how many, how many tasks are, could we just, to make it easy, are there six, ta are there six core tasks within the role? <sighs> Yeah, that's a good question. Um, we just make it easy and say maybe yes. Right. There's there's probably like I would say there's maybe three core tasks. If okay. I just just feeling it, like there's a um, understanding the client's goals and what they what they put down, and then there is researching that topic in detail. Like once you've kind of understood those goals, and then there mm -hmm. is putting that research into an organized format that will guide the writer towards the the right outcome. And which of those three tasks are the hardest to, to find in life, <laughs> in someone? Yeah, man, it's, it's so hard for me to know how, you know, one thing that, one thing that might be, one thing that, that could ease this is the fact that I've done hundreds of these at this point. Um, 
and I have a huge, I'm starting to get a library of them uh, that we could use to help um, build some either templates or something. Like what I've been trying to think is like, is there a way to encapsulate the work we've already done and distill it down into something that, that people could, another person could come in and be like, oh, okay, that's how you do this kind of post or that's how you, you do this kind of post. Um, so I don't, yeah, I don't know, man. <laughs> this is hard. It's it, I'm well, struggling with this. There, so for one of the tasks, yeah, is there a role in life that an individual does one of those tasks within their day to day? Because so, the tasks, when you listen them off to me, don't seem too like crazy and foreign. Yeah, it's the you know what it is is not the that any one of these tasks are hard it's the the breadth of different topics that clients might want to cover so okay research, hold yeah yeah go ahead i was gonna start so you just made me think of something so it's not the task it's there it's the context of where this applicant needs to come from i think so yeah because um so let, let me try to like give an example it would be yeah. like i mean our clients are are technical companies that that sell to different developers, but software development has become a very, I mean, it's a, there's a lot of different kinds of software developers now. Uh, it isn't just like all developers know everything. So what's happened is we'll have some clients that are really focused on, let's say, servers and backend things, and they really want some specialized like articles on these, these complicated backend topics. And then we'll have other clients that are more like, maybe it's a no code tool that or low code tool that doesn't really even, you don't even have to be that much of a developer. You need to be more business savvy and kind of like talking to marketing people who are semi-technical marketing people. So that range is really hard to account for. Like if I hired a hardcore backend engineer to do research, they might struggle with some of these less, you know, in-depth uh, businessy topics. But if I hired a, you know, hardcore business person that was not an engineer, they would really struggle with some, like some, detailed in-depth kubernetes article or something so the key is to figure out the blend of the context the worlds where they come from i think so and you know this is this has made me realize the reason that i'm like kind of unique in this is that my experience is a mix of tech and business and writing and that's pretty unique so the option would either be find somebody who wants has a blend of those three things like i'm not the only i'm not a unicorn truly there's other people like me um but they might but that be, might be hard to find. Yeah, it might be expensive. It might be really hard to find, right? Like that's where the struggle is. Like, what if you know? I mean, I made good money before I started this company, right? Like, I I uh, can't imagine there's a lot of people with the same skill sets as I had and experience I had that are making a lot less money in today's world. So, yeah. Would would so? And then I think what you were going to say is the latter. The easier part would probably be to outsource because you 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 know they have you they already had that context there yeah or like you know what i thought maybe one way to think about it is what if i outsource different topics to different people because they are specialized in those topics already um and then i like build them a template for how to how to create outlines and briefs and things i would uh, let's get super operational i would build the template yeah i would outsource the three individually at a very clear cut mm. level with the templates connected I would figure out exactly what I'm willing to spend at the macro across the whole three. Like, what would I don't know what your goal or right, your right. budget was looking at spending. Make sure you find those people within that range, obviously. And then I'll throw you for a curveball. What I would what I would do is what I would I would I would if you have the 
if you have the money to pay a little bit more to each person or treat yourself really nicely and tell yourself that you're going to spend a little bit more time in mentorship, what I would do is if you have someone internal or if you could find, and this is going to take you a while to find this person, but they're out there a really dedicated person that's willing to just chip away at a bigger role, mm. I would find someone either internal or external that can sit as a mentee to you and those three folks mm. for six months or eight months or however long it takes you to truly, truly, truly learn so that you no longer have to keep it outsourced. You can bring it in-house. Yeah. And, and I'm sure the reason why you really wanted to be in-house because there's so many probably gray areas and nuance, right? Yeah, yeah. And so when I say that to you, how does that sound? Short-term, split it amongst the three, three separate contractors just to make sure the quality is where it needs to be. Yeah. And then building out a mentorship element either within yourself where that's your responsibility or pay a little bit more to those folks and it hire them as contractors, but also have like a good kind of mentorship personality where they, it's part of their contract to like either document exactly what they're doing or whatever the case is, and then bring somebody in to do something random, but that they're, they're coming in because they actually want to be this role. Or yeah. maybe you have somebody internal that could turn into this role. Do you? Yeah, you know what I what comes to mind as you're saying all this is I wonder if I could go to some of my writers who are so so like our writers are they're software engineers primarily, but some of them are like freelancers who are more uh yeah, I mean they're more they're more fluid with what they do, right? Like that they're not working a 40 hour week job and they're writing occasionally. They might be writing several articles a week and it might actually be part of their regular income. Um and so for those people who are more committed writers, maybe a couple of them would be interested in trying something a little bit like this because they've already, I mean, they've shown they're good writers and that they they want to do this kind of work. Uh, they might be interested in mixing skills and trying something like this on a contract basis. They seem like the easiest pool to come from. And then maybe if we start one or two of them off as contractors, maybe one of them will really shine and want to do it full time in the future or something. Like I, I definitely like the idea. And this is one thing I've definitely picked up from other startups I've worked at and from draft as well as starting people off as freelancers or contractors is like an extended trial. If they're willing to do it, it's nice for both sides because they get to see what it's like working with me. And I get to see, you know, really like help define the process, figure out what, how it is to work with this person and if they're a good fit for this or if we needed something else. So yep. it helps both sides, I think, de-risk the, the big uh, step of, you know, starting a job with a small company. Last thing I'll say on this, and then we'll get you out of here. Give us any plugs. Where can they find you? Where they can learn? Where they can learn more? Anything you want to say to us? Um, learning their uh, learning their learning style and making mm, making yeah. the trial period or the learning and development experience contextual to how they learn. So getting out of your own way. And this is hard as a leader. Getting out of your own way in your own communication or learning or in teaching style. And contextually reacting to the way that they learn best is going to be the best thing for this type of thing, because what can easily happen is it can easily turn into a situation where they're not picking up the information or they're not picking up the day to day of that role, the way that you thought they would, because you're teaching it in a way that doesn't resonate with them immediately. Um, that's the first go to when I think about 
learning and development or upskilling or reskilling or anything like that is contextual to how they learn. Folks really know how they learn. A lot of people say they don't know how they learn. That's bullshit. They know how they learn. They <laughs> yeah. just need to think about it for a little bit. Right. Um, that's just, that, that, that will help the process be smooth as well. Um, was any of that helpful? Yeah, absolutely. I think it, you know, running these kinds of, um, these kinds of problems and thoughts by other people, especially other entrepreneurs is always really helpful, Anthony. I mean, one of the things that I noticed as I started went from running, you know, being a, a manager to being a actual entrepreneur was the, you know, when you're a manager, there's always somebody up the chain, you can kick these big problems up to and just say, Hey, what do you think of this? And just have like a second voice that is somewhat um, knowledgeable that can, you know, give you some, some info or at least ask some good questions. When you start a business though, you don't get that at first. And I've been really intentional with building connections and, and mentors and, you know, even just talking to people like you, and I know we've only met a few times, but like it's super helpful because even though you don't know all the context, you don't have to know all of it to just ask good questions and bring up really good uh, suggestions. So yeah, this has definitely been helpful. Good, man. Uh, let us know where you can find you. Plug whatever you want to plug and then we'll get you out of here. Yeah, yeah. Um, so obviously, if you happen to be in the market for technical content for aimed at software engineers, draft.dev is the the website. But I don't expect that that's, that's probably many people out there because it's a small niche. Uh, but I'd be happy to talk to any other entrepreneurs, especially if you're running a or starting a productized service or any kind of scalable uh, service-based model. I'm, I'm just super interested in learning more about how other people do this as well as trading stories and ideas. Um, my email, which you know I'll give to you to, to put in here is uh, carl at draft.dev and it's carl with a K. Um, and you can find me online at Carl L. Hughes, most places. So uh, yeah, it's great talking with you, Anthony. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks a lot, Carl. I really appreciate it, man.